Uh, I, I am uh, uh, an expository preacher, uh, and what that means is typically uh, I choose a book of the Bible, and I start at the beginning of a section, usually the beginning of the book, and then I preach until the book runs out of words. Um, and I've done this for seven years with very few exceptions. Um, some exceptions that you may have noticed is like Christmas time. Uh, typically, I'll talk about some Christmassy things. Um, but for this summer, uh, one of the things as I was out on sabbatical, I was thinking about uh, what does our church need? What, what, what is it that we need to do? How can we be more effective in the work that God has called us to do? One of the things that I just really felt uh, led to, one of the things I, I think would be beneficial for us is to take a little season this summer and do a topical study on the basics of our faith. Um, and what that means is instead of having one place in the Bible that we're going to flip to, I think we're flipping to eight places today, which if you followed me for seven years is very difficult for me to do. My mind doesn't want to do that. Um, but we're going to be flipping around a little bit in your Bible today uh, as we look at the basics of our faith. Danielle asked me yesterday, I think, or maybe it was the day before, she said, what are you preaching on Sunday? We were at youth camp this week, and I said, well, I'm preaching on God. Usually I say Jesus, um, and I said God, and she's like, oh, ha, 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 but really that's what I'm preaching on today, right? The basics of our faith starts with God. He is, is the ultimate foundational point of our faith, and if we if we don't start there, we're going to be kind of uh, wandering out of like, what is this God and what is it all about? So we're going to start today looking at God. I remember the story about Vince Lombardi. The year before he won Super Bowl I, uh, his team had lost in the NFL championship game. So the Super Bowl wasn't in existence yet. The merger hadn't happened. Uh, and he had lost in the, in the NFL championship game uh, by a pretty good score, I think, to the New York Giants. Uh, and uh, his team was stung from that defeat. They had a few months to lick their wounds, and they came back uh, for uh, summer practices or to get ready for the fall season. Uh, and he began uh, to, talking to his football team, and he picked up a football, and he held it in his hand, and he said, Gentlemen, this is a football, right? As if they didn't know what a football was, but he figured if he's going to get where he wants to go, he needed to lay a foundation that was solid and understanding. So when I say a football, this is what I'm talking about. Assume that you know nothing, and we'll start there. And for the rest of the training camp period, Vince Lombardi walked through the basics of what the football team was going to do, how the plays were going to run. He moved at such a slow and methodical place and these are professional athletes, not quite like we have today where this is the only thing they do, but, but they had lived and breathed and understood football well enough to get to the championship game the previous year. But he threw out all of that knowledge and said, we're going to start from square one. And, and what happened at the end of that year? Well, the Super Bowl happened, and Vince Lombardi won his first of two consecutive Super Bowls for the Green Bay Packers because the foundation was laid for success. I think the church sometimes neglects the foundations and we, and we run for everything else. And so like we have a general concept of who God is and who Christ is and who we are, what the work of the Spirit is. We have a general understanding of those things, but we never brush back up on them. We never go back to refresh on those. And as we remove ourselves from a study on who God is, it becomes kind of a fuzzy object. And when God becomes a fuzzy object, then we can mold him into something else that he never was intended to be, that he never truly 
was we make a God after our own image because we've removed ourselves from a study of God. I believe the church will struggle when it doesn't know its fundamentals. When the church doesn't understand who it is and who it serves and who it praises and who it magnifies, if the church doesn't understand those things, the church is going to struggle to reach its ultimate goal. Right? The ultimate goal for the Green Bay Packers was to win the championship game. The year before, they fell just short. Did they accomplish a lot? Sure, they had a winning season. They were more victorious than they were not, right? They were generally good at the thing that they were trying to do, but they fell short of what their objective was. And I think churches are the same way. We can be generally good. We can have some good results. We can look around and say, well, this was a good thing and that was a good thing. We can have some victories here and victories there. But when we look at it on the grand scheme, right, we fell short of where we should be or we fell short of what our ultimate goal was we have to go back to the fundamentals you know every single year in like march uh, late february and march pitchers and catchers report for spring training and they show up in spring training and they do the same drills that little leaguers are doing here in rockdale texas balls hit to this side run run and cover first base the balls hit over here run to cover first base the same drills that are done for uh, you know, nine-year-old baseball teams, these professional athletes getting paid $30 million a year are practicing because without the fundamentals, failure is very likely. Right? If you don't have sound fundamentals, it doesn't matter if you can throw the ball 102 miles an hour. It doesn't matter that you can hit the ball 450 feet. It doesn't matter that you can run faster than everyone else, that you can jump higher than everyone else. Those things don't matter if the fundamentals fall apart. Right, like if your car is, is pristine and everything, but the engine doesn't work, it's not what you need, right? It doesn't get you down the road, which is the object of the car. It may look good in the parking lot. People may walk around and be like, oh, that's nice. I was talking to a guy yesterday. I was at a birthday party for a friend of mine, and uh, somehow this dude was here. It was like my friend's friend's dad, who has never met my friend. He was just in town. And he's like a hot rod guy, like literally, like he drives funny cars and has like all these nice antique cars that he works on, really cool stories that he has to share. And he was talking specifically about a truck he has, and he's like, I did all this work to it. And then he's like, it didn't, it didn't help it at all. He's like, but it looks really good when you open it up at the car show. You open up the hood and there's all these like extra things flowing in. He's like, look at that. Didn't help the performance any. No extra horsepower, no extra noise, nothing but it looked good there. A lot of us, like, we, we think, well, you know, if I do all this other stuff, maybe it'll be okay. But if your fundamentals aren't there, if the basics of what it is to cause success aren't there, we're going to struggle. And the most basic thing, just as the football was the most basic thing uh, for Vince Lombardi, the most basic thing for the, for, the, for the Christian faith is who is God and what does he do? Right, we're here to worship and glorify and magnify God and we sing songs to God and we, and we say that he speaks to us through this book that we have bound in front of us today and we say, who is this God? And so today we're going to look at who this God is. We're going to bounce around a little bit. We're going to start at the very, very beginning because, uh, you know, as uh, Maria said in Sound of Music, that's a very good place to start. No? No one? Okay. Oh, that's right. Okay, at least my daughter back there. Sound of Music is my favorite movie, by the way. That's weird. Uh, but, you know, it's a musical. you got good singing, and then you got Nazis. There's a lot going on there, right? So 
So I just enjoy it. Um, but yeah, so, so in Genesis 1-1, if you want to know about God, I mean, that's a good place to start right at the very beginning of the book that he gives us, which is this self-revelation where he tells us about who he is. This is what Genesis 1-1 says. We're going to be flipping around a lot. I think I put all the verses to go up on the screens today. We'll see. Um, but here we go, Genesis 1-1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's it. That's pretty straightforward, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a lot of things we learn about God. Well, that verse just went down. We're acting like they don't need to see it anymore. Come on, Hannah. Uh, see, if you had said Happy Father's Day, you wouldn't be getting any of this right now. Okay, hey, look at that. Okay, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a lot going on here. The first thing that jumps out, though, is that in the beginning, God was already there, right? So God is before any of this. He's outside of all of this stuff that we have here. And that tells us two things about God. The first thing is that He's eternal, right? He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. He's eternal. You are not eternal, you have a very clear beginning, right? Now, we, I mean, I guess some people debate about was it, was it at this point or was it at this point? People want to argue about when the beginning is. But, like, we know you were not and then you were, right? There's a spot when there was no you and then now there is you. And we're glad for it, by the way. I'm glad that there's a you here today. But God is eternal, Right? That means he's a little bit different than us. He's always been. He will always be. Part of this thing, though, is also that he was there before anything else. And so he's set apart from everything else that's made. Right? That means he's holy. The word holy means set apart. It means that he's, he's different in character. He has a, he has a set apartness about him. And God is holy. Right? He's, he, he, he is different than us. He's set apart from us. And so we celebrate that we have this holy, eternal God, he's also a creator, right? He created the heavens and the earth before uh, all of this stuff was made, and the mountains and the trees and the light and all that stuff. Before all that was spoken into existence, he created. That means he has the power to create just out of his own will, right? That gets back into sovereignty, right? That he's able just to do what he wills because he has the power to do it. Right? How amazing is it that God can just be like, yeah, I'm going to create something. And then it's, it's done. Right? He is powerful. Right? When we look at creation, as we look at the things that God made, right, our minds should be like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, God made that. You know, you know, some of you have seen like parts of nature. I think about the Grand Canyon. That's kind of that experience for me. You get to the top of the Grand Canyon, you look down at this massive scar in the middle of the earth, and you're like, wow. Wow. Right, you get in some places in the mountains and you look around and you're like, oh my goodness, breathtaking. Right, so breathtaking that the highway department it like puts up signs that say, come look over here. Like we have a scenic overlook over here. Like God did this, we're going to put a sign up in a place for you to park because you don't want to miss what God made. Like it's so amazing, he's this creator God, he's powerful in creation, he's sovereign in creation, he makes what he wants. And then, if you look down, I didn't, I didn't put the verse here, but y'all know, and most of you know, at least if you continue on from here, like the next couple of verses talks about God, like day one of creation, God makes light, right? And, and he says the light was good, and then God rested, right? And that was the first day. And then on day two, he makes like, I don't know, I think the sky and the water, I think, so blue. I have a rhyme that I have to go through in my head, uh, right? But after every day of creation, one through six, God looks at what he makes and he says, that's good, right? He's like, hey, the light, that's good. The sun, hey, that's good. The moon, oh man, that's good. 
He makes the birds. He's like, that's good. He makes mosquitoes. He's like, that's good. You're like, what, God? Everything he makes is good. Makes the mountains good. He makes the sky good. It's all good. Why is it all good? You ever wonder that? Why is it all good? It's because he's good. And that's all he can do. Like when he makes something, he makes something good. You know, we have a, a table in my house that is a whiteboard table. And you can just draw on it and then erase it and draw on it and erase it. It's good for the little kids and for, and for the old people as well. And so, so you're just in there and you can, you can draw on it. Uh, and, and so like I can, in my mind, I can visualize a horse. I got one right now, okay? I can visualize a horse. But once I put that dry erase marker to that table and I begin to draw that horse that's in my mind, it ceases to be good. In my mind, it's good. I can see it perfectly. But when I make it, when, I, when it comes out of me, it's not good. Right? I could bring Ezekiel over my forehead and be like, hey, what is that? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, it's a horse. He's like, okay. <laughs> if you say so, Dad. Right? I can draw a stick person. Right? I can do that good. But not everything I do is good. Why isn't everything I do good? Because I am not good. I'm mixed up. There's parts of me that are good, that have been um, redeemed and restored and brought back into, into holiness. But there's a whole lot of me that's not good. And so when I make, it's not good. I got, I got, I got three kids that are genetically mine that I created, that I helped to make. And guess what? None of them are good. <laughs> and it's not their mom's fault. Solely. Right? Happy Father's Day, Dad. Right? It's me. <laughs> Like, I look and I'm like, and then they act like fools sometimes. And I'm like, why would they? Oh, yeah, that's me. Right? Because what I make isn't good. But what God makes is good because God is good. It's just who he is. It's all he can do. He can't make bad. He can't make evil. He can't make wickedness. He's, it's just good. He wakes up. He does good. I didn't, I didn't wake up, I guess, because he doesn't sleep. Right? That's a different story altogether about God. Right? But like, like he's just good. And so Genesis 1.1 and Genesis, like the first little piece of, of the Bible there, tells us about this holy set-apart God who's always been, who's good by his very nature, has the power and the ability to sovereignly create things just because he wants to. This is the God that we get to sing to. This is the God that takes an interest in you, which is mind-blowing, that God cares about me enough, the God who can like scar the earth to make the Grand Canyon, says, oh yeah, and Matt too. But I want to thank someone, someone today said, hey, you're looking younger. I don't know what I did. I think I got some sun at Highland Lakes. Said, you're looking younger. And whoever that was, uh, high five to you. Make it, maybe it was Jerry, thank you. Uh, but man, made me feel good about myself because I went to my last church and it's been seven years since I was there. And I'm like, man, you're looking old. I got the exact opposite story over there. <laughs> right? But like, but, but, but this God is so good. And Genesis 1-1 talks about the goodness of God, guys, and we celebrate that. But it's not just in Genesis, right? God isn't just those Genesis attributes, right? One of the things that we, that we absolutely adore about God, that we sing praises to God about, is that he's love, right? God is love. That's a, that's a, that's a phrase that we use. Uh, you can see that in John 3-16. Most of you are familiar with John 3-16. I probably cannot quote John 3-16 cleanly because I've memorized it in like seven different translations. But the gist of it is, in the beginning, oh, that's not right. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. That's probably pretty close, right? That's not bad. Um, right? But, but in this verse here, where it starts talking about God, it says, like, God loves. 
He loved the world. Why, why, why does he love the world? Because God is love. That's the nature of God. When you love someone or when someone loves you, when you are able to witness love, that's a shadow of the divine. You get to see a picture, just a fraction of the love of God demonstrated between a husband and a wife, between a father and a, a child. Right? You get to see a fraction of the love that God has. So God is holy, eternal, creator, sustainer. He is good, but he's also loving. That means when we sing to him, like, like, like we have a God who loves you. Right? He's not like uh, my last pastor. I, I, don't, I don't know if he coined this or not. But he's you know, like on this side of the cross, like God's not mad at you anymore. Like he loves you. Right? Jesus, right, talking to the, 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 the rich young ruler. Right? And the rich young ruler has, has just been found out that like he's too connected to his possessions. And, and, and Jesus, before Jesus tells him that, right before it, Jesus looks at him and he loves him. Right? Even this man that he knows is about to leave him, he, he, he has love for. Because God is love. God is a, a loving God. I, I love the song, uh, I think it's called the, the Love of God. Right? But, 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 but it goes, like the third verse uh, kind of gets like metaphorical. Um, which I'm, I'm give or take on, depending on that. But I love the metaphor. And, you know, it says like, you know, we're, we're, we're the ocean, ink, and we're every stalk on the earth a pen, and every person ascribed by trade, and we're the skies made of parchment. He says the skies wouldn't have enough room to write down the love of God. And the ocean would be drained dry. Like there would be no ink left in the ocean. Because the love of God is so expansive. We can't even explain it. And that's the God. Like that is who God is. It, 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 it's a huge aspect of who God is. That's why, that's why we respond to him the way we do in worship. It's why our devotion to him is so easy. Because he's not some uh, angry, petty, uh, frustrated God who's conniving to get his own way. He's a loving kind God, right? So as we experience the love of God, but we also have this other side of God, uh, which you see, you know, see a decent bit of it in the Old Testament, but you also see it uh, in the New Testament, which is this, that God is just, right? So it's not just love with no boundaries. Like we're in the middle of this month celebrating sin, right? I, I hate the month of June right now. I absolutely do. I don't know how sin became a virtue that culturally we're supposed to just stand up and say, yes, every sinful lifestyle we need to accept, embrace, and praise. Right? And, I, and I'm not like the, like, I don't get overly worked up about political issues, but when we take sin and we want to say, and then we elevate it as sin, pride, right? And we elevate it up as sin. Because this is what we're about. How terrible that is, right, 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 but, but God is not just love, like people are like, well, love is love, and love, love, love. Like they want to take the love of God, they want to pervert the love of God to the purposes that they have for themselves, but God talks about that, right, and in, in Romans chapter 1, going down in verses uh, 17 and 18, uh, Paul is writing, and he says this, he says, look, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Right, so God is righteous, and the righteous of God is revealed, for the righteous will live by faith. That's how we know the righteous. But verse 18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So we don't just have this loving God who has no bounds. Do you know why God has this wrathful, vengeful, just side? It's because he loves you. 
and living opposed to how God made you to be, opposed to the best design for you, is destructive to you. It's destructive to you to live outside of your design. When I was a youth, I was a teenager, this is before uh, gender confusion became such a huge deal, there was a girl in my youth group and she was weird. Like, like we had weird kids in my youth group, we had some weird homeschool kids. I had a real bad taste in my mouth about homeschooling because of all the weird homeschool kids in my youth group. But there was this one kid, and I don't know what was going on with her, I don't know what's going on in her house, I don't know what caused her to be how she was, but she pretended to be a cat. She was like 15 years old, and she pretended to be a cat. She would take her leg, and she would scratch her ear, like in public, just around people. Like, like she was disturbed, confused, uh, right? But, but you, know, you know what's not loving to do to this confused person who wants to be a cat? You know, to start calling them, you know, princess and laying out fancy feasts for them to eat. That's destructive to them. That would have, that would have harmed, I, I don't know what happened to that girl. I, I thought about trying to find her on Facebook. I'm a little scared. But it, it's destructive. It's destructive to, to take someone who thinks they have an identity that falls outside of what God, God has told them who they are. And to say that's who you're supposed to be. That's why the wrath of God is revealed against unrighteousness. Because God says that's not good. Like I am good and that's not good. That's not what I made you to be. And our culture is against that, right? Like, there are people out there who will tell you the exact opposite. Every, every corporation in America has to tell you how you know, affirming they are of every, every uh, bad, sinful life choice that's out there. Right? They, they have to do it. I don't know why, I guess. The, yeah, I don't know, whatever. But that's not God. And that's not love. Right? That's, that, that, that's in some degree, that's, that, that's hatred. Right? Because you know what's good for them. You know what's in their best interest. You know what's good for their soul. You know what's good for, for them as a human. And you say, you know what? I don't want to say that because, you know, it's awkward to say that. And it makes people upset. And it will. Like, I feel for my, my kids and teenagers and kids right now, young kids right now, like, it's a messy world to grow up in. Like, to stand for biblical truth on areas of, like, sexuality and beyond that, but, but that's kind of the thing in June that we have to hear about every six minutes. Um, golly, it's hard. But, but God loves us enough to judge us when we live in a way that's destructive to how God created us to be. And, and so we need to recognize that God isn't just this kind of like weird, like Mr. Rogers love figure or Santa Claus love figure. Like, like, like he will judge those who live unrighteously with wrath and justice. God's attributes are unmatched in creation. His attributes are only unmatched in his creation. His works are unmatched in creation. You see his works. He creates, right? What an amazing thing. He sustains life. Like he's able to sustain all life. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 uh, says this. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Not only does he make everything, nothing would still be held together if God wasn't actively holding this universe together. We would spiral into the sun, the rotations would cease, you would no longer, the atoms in your body would 
not be held together. God holds everything together. That's the work of God. He restores things. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3, we have the, the, the passage that, that you're familiar with, which says God makes beauty from ashes, right? That he takes broken things and destroyed things and burned up things, and he turns something beautiful out of it because God is a God of restoration, I can't restore a car. You give me a junker car that you find out in the woods somewhere that may have you know, a limitless value with the right hands, and I can make it worth less than it was when it was found in the barn. But you get that in the right hands of the right person, and they can turn this thing that looks like garbage into a treasure that is of immeasurable worth. God is that for everyone. He takes broken lives and broken peoples and broken situations and sinful decisions that were made to you and by you. And he says, you aren't that. I will restore you to something better than that. He's a restoring God. He's a saving God, right? He, he sent his son. He looked at the world. He saw the brokenness in the world. And he said, I will bring salvation to you at the cost of my very son. The works of God, the, 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 the attributes of God are unmatched. The works of God are unsurpassed. The God that we serve has no equal. That's why we sing to him. That's why we, we have a time up here where there's drums and guitars and organs and pianos. Organs next week, maybe. Organs and pianos. And we, and we go and we, we sing these songs. You're like, I don't like that song. I don't understand that song. Why are we singing that song? It's because the God who that song is about is worthy of worship. No one else is. You're not worthy of worship. The Houston Astros aren't worthy of worship. Stop giving your mind's attention and your heart's affection to things that will ultimately fail you. They lost seven nothing. That's the Astros, not not right, right. Like, 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 don't give yourself away to things. Don't give yourself away to yourself. You will fail yourself. You know this. You've seen it over and over again. What is our response to God? We worship Him. Right, Matthew 4.10, you go through and you see the, the temptation of Jesus. And Jesus is being tempted by Satan. And Satan has just gone through two different temptations. And then at the end of it, he, he draws Jesus in. And he says, look, you can have all of these things. All the kingdoms of the world will be yours if you will just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Guys, we don't worship other things. Our worship is solely focused on Jesus. Our obedience is solely focused on God. We obey what he says. Ezekiel was singing a song in the car. I guess he learned it at Discovery Days. Uh, and it just goes, obey, 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 obey God. And, and like he was just singing this in the car. And I'm like, yes, we obey God. Why do we obey God? We don't obey God because we have nothing else to do. And we're just like robots who have to live autonomously or, or with no mind underneath the authority of some figure that wrote a book, you know, 5,000 years ago. We obey because that God is who I just described. He's powerful and he's loving and he's good. Right? And that's the God we obey. We obey Him because He's worthy of obedience and we're devoted to Him and Him alone. You know, some of us have split allegiances. Inside the church, we have split allegiances. We have allegiances to God and we'll say, God, I'm going to give you 27 Sundays a year. That's one more than 50% of the Sundays a year, God. I'm going to give you 27 Sundays a year. And the other 25, God, I'm going to take for myself. Need some me time. I work five days a week. <laughs> a little me time. Maybe I'll go down to the lake. Maybe I'll go down to the coast. Maybe I'll just sit on my recliner. 
and watched the Masters, right? I guess U.S. Open today, right? Um, moving day was yesterday. It's tight. It's tight. Oh, man, the people are putting up scores right now. Got to hurt a little bit for my golf fans out there right now. Look at the hustle box. <laughs> I feel it. I feel it. I'm with you, okay? <laughs> right? I don't know why I talked about golf. My mind just went there. Because our devotion needs to be fully devoted to, to him alone. Oh, that's what it was, that we, we give part of our time to something else. Guys, the, the truth is uh, God is not looking for, for halfway disciples. Jesus talks about this. Uh, what was that? In Luke 14, 25 through 27, he talks about the cost of discipleship. And he goes through and he talks about how much it costs to be a follower of his, what, what, what it takes to be a, a true follower of his. And this is what he says. This is a hard saying that Jesus has, starting in verse 25. It says, now great crowds accompanied Jesus. And so Jesus turned and said to them, when the crowds got big, Jesus gave them this teaching. He says in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father, happy Father's Day, and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Whoever doesn't bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Right? Jesus isn't looking for people who have divided loyalties. This, this verse is not telling you, like, like husbands here, like, done. And look for a reason to get rid of this woman. This was the verse I needed. Now I can get rid of her. Right? That's <laughs> not what that verse is saying. Right? Kids, it's not saying, like, don't have to listen to dad anymore. It's Father's Day. You better well listen to your dad today. Even those of you who didn't say half Father's Day to your dads this morning. Right? Now, what it's saying is, like, compared to your obedience and your devotion to God, your obedience and devotion to anything else will look like hatred. Right? Compared to how much you obey and are devoted to God. Compared to that, it will look like hatred. And if there's ever a conflict between the two, you already know which way you're going. You don't have to think about it. God says, go this way. Uh, I've used this story before. My dad, whenever I was going into uh, college, uh, pulled me aside, and I told him what my majors were going to be, psychology and Christianity, neither of which are profitable majors. My dad was in the computer business world, and he said, son, I'm glad that you're called to ministry. I think that's a wonderful thing. My dad is a believer. He said, I think that's a wonderful thing. Um, but I know a lot of unemployed pastors. Maybe you should consider having one degree that has some value. One degree. Like, keep your Christianity degree, which has no value. Throw your psychology degree away, which also has no value. And put a business degree in there or something. And like, maybe it'll be useful for the church too. But I know a lot of unemployed pastors. That's what he told me. I know a lot of unemployed pastors. And I looked at my dad with all the arrogance of an 18-year-old. I looked at my dad straight in the face. And I said, Dad, I bet you know a lot of unemployed software executives too. This is what he does. And then I just walked away. Because God had told me, like I knew in my heart what God was calling me to do. Man, I could have thrown the psychology degree and put a hundred different things in there because I've rarely used any of my psychology, honestly, past like the first two classes. But like, God had told me, I was very clear, this is what God was calling me to do. I was talking to kids at youth camp and I was like, I was like, like what I went to college to do, like I'm living my dream every day. Except for the last month, I've been living other dreams that month. But like, this is my dream, this is my dream job. Like I've achieved the mountaintop of success that I set out for. Cool is that? I right? said, so like, I've got my dream job because God told me. 
said, Matt, I want you to be set apart for, 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 for the ministry of the gospel. I said, okay, I'll do it. And when my dad, who I love and I respect, and I listened to my dad, when my dad said I need to go to Richmond Tire to get my tires replaced, I went to Richmond Tire to get my tires replaced. It cost me twice what it would cost to go to Discount Tire. I don't know what benefit that was for me other than making my pocketbook about 600 bucks lighter. But he said that's where I was supposed to go. I love my dad. He said, okay, I'll go. But when he and God conflicted, what God had made clear in my life that I needed to do, and my dad said, well, maybe you need to slow down on this and come up with a plan B out there. I said, I don't need a plan B. I know exactly what God's going to do. And so I ignored my father because God told me where I was supposed to be. Guys, that's what it means. The cost of discipleship, we're not looking for halfway devoted followers. Some of us have been halfway devoted for way too long. Some of you have never been devoted. Some of you have been in church your whole life. You've heard a lot about Jesus. You may have been baptized, but you've never been devoted to God. You've always been devoted to yourself. You've always been seeking out your own good and your own glory and your own victories. You've always been about you. And then you wonder, occasionally, when you have reflective moments like, well, why isn't God doing such and such in my life? And, and the answer is because you're a turd. Am I allowed to say that? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Well, that's For me, just so you know, that's my life story. Like, whenever I look at God, I'm like, God, what are you doing? Why? You know, whatever. And, and the answer that I often get, it's like, you stink, Matt. Kind of like a turd. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not... You're not devoted to me. You're devoted to your family. You're devoted to yourself. You're devoted to, to your hobbies. You're devoted to the chasing after some dollar bills over there. You're devoted to the wrong things. Of course there's nothing on the other side. No, God, I'm not going to give you that. But as a church, guys, we have to get the basics right. And, and I think sometimes we struggle with it. So here's the, here's the basics for you about God. God is different and better than anything in this universe. And he is more powerful and creative than anything that you can possibly hope or imagine. And your response to him is what you're supposed to be focused on, which is worship, obedience, and full-throated devotion. Not divided allegiance. Not, I don't like this song. And worship is more than singing, by the way. Uh, like That's a part of it. The reason we sing, in case you're wondering, uh, is because like somebody somewhere spent some time to try to put down words to help us put words to how we should be feeling about God. That's why, that's why we sing, right? Because like, like if you're, you might struggle with putting those words out yourself, and so God gifts us with poets who give us words, and we're like, hey, that's exactly how I should feel right now. And that's why we sing, right? But, but worship is more than that. It goes into your everyday life about how you, how you think, what you think about, what, you, what you're passionate about, what you care about. You need to respond to God with worship and devotion. God's character compels us to devotion to his fame. Like who God is, what God does, forces us to try to make his name famous, not your name famous. I do not care if I am a footnote or nothing in the, in the history of this church or in God's kingdom. I do not need to show up. I, I don't. I don't need to show up in some Baptist history book 100 years from now. Well, there was a pastor somewhere named Matt Higginbotham. He won. I don't care. But for this place where God has put me now, I'm going to live for the fame of Jesus Christ and God, his Father. I'm going to make him famous. And as a church, if we'll do that, if we'll let the character of God and the attributes of God force us to make him famous, guys, we're going to see some things happen here that we haven't seen in the last seven years. We're going to see some things that we've never experienced before. Maybe you've never seen in any church experience in your life. Because the God we worship is different. 
and able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or hope or imagine. And I'm ready for that. But we need to get those basics right. Let's practice the basics today. Who is God? What does he do? Let your heart think on those things, be in awe and reverence of who he is. And then let that affect how you respond to him today. Let me pray.